Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. It's Eddie Trunk, and it is time for another edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. You know the deal by now. It's new each and every single Thursday via podcastone.com and, of course, via Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for downloading, streaming, listening, wherever, however, whenever you do it. It is greatly, greatly, greatly appreciated. As we settle in for another couple of great interviews coming your way on the podcast this week, I appreciate everybody spreading the word about the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Even though I've been doing this for years, it doesn't help, or doesn't hurt, I should say, to help get the word out, and I appreciate you doing that as well, and subscribing and listening each and every week via the outlets I just mentioned, the Apple Podcasts, or of course, on podcastone.com. So... This week, another double dip. Two great interviews for you. We'll start with Alice Cooper. As usual, all the interviews here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast originate on my Sirius XM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation and heard on Volume Channel 106, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, replaying every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, and also available on demand on the Sirius XM app. So uh, if you're in the U.S. and Canada and are not already on board with Trunk Nation on Sirius XM, please come on board. You will not regret it. You're only getting a tiny taste here on the podcast of what I'm doing live on radio on a daily basis. So the double dip this week, second will be Ted Nugent. I'm fully aware that Ted Nugent is quite a polarizing personality. When Ted Nugent does anything with me, we keep it exclusively to music conversation. I think Ted is often forgotten at how great of an artist he is, what a great guitar player he is, what a great music historian he is in a lot of ways. And Uncle Ted will join us as the second part of the Eddie Trunk podcast this week. He is never not entertaining, in my opinion. And again, I am aware that some have let's just say strong feelings about Ted. I am aware of that. Again, my stuff with Ted is always about the music end of things. 
and uh, that's where we keep things. So enjoy that coming up. Ted Nugent currently on tour, and uh, if you get a chance, go check him out. I think you will enjoy his guitar playing, his songs, and his killer band. So Ted is coming up second. But first, on the interviews, we lead with Alice Cooper, a true legend and uh, a guy that recently celebrated the 30th anniversary of his trash album, very much a breakthrough album, a return, I should say, breakthrough album for Alice Cooper. We'll get to Alice in a second. Before all of the interviews, let me tell you about Pluto TV, because Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. Pretty incredible. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. Pluto TV Never ask for a credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows. And that's important. You don't want to be streaming and have the feds knocking at your door, right? Hit movies, TV shows, totally free, totally legal. That is Pluto TV. What are you waiting for? You never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. You can download it for free on all of your favorite devices, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. Pluto TV, folks, check it out. Hey, Jordan here. I know a lot of you create your own podcasts, and a lot of you already have one like me. I obviously love what I do. It's taken a lot of hard work to get to this point of success. You shouldn't have to pay fees for platform hosting, distribution, analytics, or fees to create a podcast. You need to be able to focus on producing the best show possible. Now, Podcast One, that's a network I'm on, they have Launchpad Digital Media, or Launchpad DM for short. So it's free, includes unlimited hosting, full control of distribution. You have access to a full dashboard with analytics. Again, totally free. You own everything, by the way. You own your content, you own your subscribers, no tricky stuff there. And you get your own show page on launchpaddm.com for people to listen to and subscribe to your show. It's the only hosting platform brought to you by the leading network, Podcast One. Podcast One will promote the site, drive people to discover your podcast, and if your show grows, you could even be invited to join Podcast One's all-star roster, which includes people like Adam Carolla, Caitlin Bristow, Shaq, Lady Gang, and of course, me, Jordan Harbinger, I'm there too. You also get access to their production and sales support. So with all this completely free, don't use other hosting platforms. Why would you need to? Learn more or sign up now at launchpaddm.com. And don't forget to check out the Jordan Harbinger Show. Okay, parachutes ready. Boy, the things I go through to get auto loan rates as low as 1.04% APR for 36 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. So, as I mentioned, Alice Cooper, we will lead with this week. Alice called my show to talk about the 30th anniversary of that album, Trash, which was a big, big uh, comeback record for Alice, uh, including the song Poison, which was a big hit on MTV back in the day and really signaled a return to Alice and his prominence and really gave him a big kick towards the tail end of the 80s. So we'll talk about that. Alice actually called in on what is exactly was exactly the 30th anniversary of the release date of Trash, and we'll get into that with him 
and then talk to, of course, as I mentioned, Ted Nugent. A couple things for me before we get to our interviews. I just came back from L.A. where I did a great L.A. invasion reuniting Don Dockin and George Lynch and also had Robert and Eric from Stone Temple Pilots on who were celebrating the 25th anniversary of their second album, Purple. Just as soon as I get back to Los Angeles, I get word that, or get back from Los Angeles, I get word that I'm going back to Los Angeles. And I will be back in L.A. this coming Monday. And I'll be doing the latest Trunk Nation L.A. invasion from the Rainbow this Monday. 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific. So if you're in Southern California, come by and see me at the Rainbow. Everybody else listen to the action live on Sirius XM 106. Then I'm going to go over to Vegas and do some broadcasts from that, uh, from Vegas, finally. And then I'm going to go to Houston and host the Tom Kiefer Show, which is happening there on August 17th at Warehouse Live. So a ton of stuff going on as usual. I urge you to follow me on Twitter for up-to-the-second news info and updates. It's simply at Eddie Trunk. And Instagram is at Eddie Trunk. Fan page on Facebook and the homepage of EddieTrunk.com for all of my appearances. But really keep an eye on my Twitter for up-to-the-second news info and updates. There is so much going on. Also... Please watch Trunk Fest on Access TV, my new TV series, new episodes every Sunday night, 9.30 Eastern on Access TV, covering music festivals and music events. You will love it. Hope you check it out on Access Sunday nights, 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific. Two interviews, so let's get right to them. We'll come back and we'll start with Alice Cooper talking 30 years of trash and segue into talking some TED. Nugent with the Motor City Madman himself. That's what we got for you this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Coming right up. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Want a podcast? Got a podcast? Then check out Launchpad DM powered by Podcast One. Launchpad DM is a totally free platform and service for anyone who wants to podcast, offering unlimited hosting and access to a dashboard with all of your show's analytics. You own and control everything, including subscribers. And it's a great discovery tool to help people find your podcast. You may even get invited to join the official Podcast One roster with even more perks like access to producers, marketers, sales teams, and more. Sign up at launchpaddm.com. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. As mentioned, a double dip this week. Ted Nugent coming up in a few, but we lead with Alice Cooper talking 30 years of trash. He called into my Sirius XM show on the exact day of the 30th anniversary of the record. Enjoy one of the greats, one of the true gentlemen, and one of the great pioneers of theatrical rock, Alice Cooper, right now. Eddie, the great and terrible Eddie Trunk. How are you doing? Ter- <laughs> terrible. What did I do that was so terrible, Alice? No, no, no. That was like, you know, the great and terrible Oz, you know. Oh, okay. 
You know, this is uh, these sort of things I'm sure have happened in your career over the decades where there's a record that celebrates a big landmark anniversary or what have you. How do you take that stuff? Are you someone who overly gets involved in that and, and reminisces much, or do you always you always got an eye towards the next thing? You know, it's so funny. I I do not live in the past at all. I I, admi- I, I acknowledge it, and I go, oh, really? Because <laughs> somebody will say, you know, it's been 40 years or 50 years since Pretty's for You, and I go, oh. And that's about as far as it goes. You know, uh, I think that I always am thinking about the next project, the next album. You know, with me now, with two bands, with the Vampires and, and my band, I'm thinking about, uh, okay, wait a minute, and we're doing the Corden show uh, next week, and that means I've got to leave the tour for a day and get back. So it's like being in two bands that I haven't got time to think about, you know. As much as I love the album Trash, I thought Trash kind of brought us back into the to public's view because it was also coincided with Wayne's World. Right, right. Yeah, I didn't think of that angle of it. And I wanted to actually ask you because I remember when Trash came out and leading into your career, there there were a lot of things that changed for you with Trash. The band, you changed record labels, you worked with Desmond Child. I mean, there was a, it was a real sort of transitional point in your career, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, the only thing I wasn't going to sacrifice was the fact that it was going to be a guitar rock album, you know, um, and I listened to all of my favorite, all the songs that I was listening to on the radio that I really liked. The name kept coming up, Desmond Child. You know, I was listening to, uh, you know, a couple of the Bon Jovi records that came out. And I went, wow, that's really a good record. And then I heard an Aerosmith record and I went, oh, that's really a good record. And, and all these things had one thing in common. And it was Desmond Child. And I went, well... Maybe I should, I should work with this guy, Desmond Child, and see what comes out of it. And so when I met him, you know, I said, Desmond, you know who Alice Cooper is, and you know how it works. You know who Alice, you know, the image and the whole thing. I'm a hard rock band. I'm a Detroit sort of hard rock band. But I want the same kind of feel that you get on this Bon Jovi, but I want it darker and sexier. And that's when we wrote, the very first thing we wrote was Poison. And he really got it. He really, really delivered on making it darker and sexier. And that song just jumped up, it just jumped on the charts immediately. It was exactly uh, Alice Cooper's version of what was going on right then, you know, in radio. Well, in radio, and you can't understate the impact uh, when you're talking 1989 of MTV at that time, and I remember the video just constantly being on MTV, so it was really the double whammy of getting the radio yeah. support and then the video, which I don't know at that time, Alice, which led which, because some artists make the case that radio followed MTV very much at that time, too, so it was really the perfect storm of the visual, the video, the song, the production, everything really checked all the boxes. Yeah, you know, we were so used to writing our own sort of script, you know, for Alice Cooper never did kind of follow what was going on in the charts and all that. We just did songs that we thought that we that worked for Alice. And at that point, MTV was so powerful. And, and it was something so revolutionarily new that I'm sitting there watching it all day going, where are these videos coming from? You know, because... <laughs> Every day there were six new videos, and they were all really well done. And yeah. I said, 
this fits right into Alice Cooper's visual thing. My thing was always visual on stage. So I said, why can't that transform into video? MTV should be perfect for Alice Cooper. You know, and, and yeah, we got involved in it the way all the other bands did. But I always kind of wanted that, you know, to make sure Alice was not Bon Jovi, that Alice was still the villain, you know. Uh, and so all the, all the videos still had that point of view. Yeah, I always think it's really interesting when you look at artists who had tremendous success in the 70s and how they adapted or didn't in some instances when the 80s rolled around because you had the the big visual component of having to please MTV and you wanted that airplay and all that. And then obviously the changes in sound and you're up against guys that are younger and prettier and, and that whole scene that was happening at that time. Some artists made the adjustment and transition pretty well and some struggled with it and never figured it out. And for you, you know, previous to the trash record, you, you were doing, you were on MCA, you had Kane Roberts as sort of like your right-hand guy at that point playing guitar. I mean, who could right. forget him looking like Rambo up there and everything? So were yeah. you happy with, was that, when you look back at that period leading into Trash, do, do you, do, were you happy with where things were going or was it sort of, were you stumbling a little bit and trying to find your way because it was a whole new world in the 80s with video and even the sounds that were being made at that time? Well, you know, the funny thing was, was every one of these Sunset, you know, uh, Sunset Boulevard bands um, and Cat House and all that were all extreme Alice Cooper fans. I mean, Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and, um, and Bon Jovi and, you know, all the bands were kind of paying homage in a way to Alice Cooper because this was the first time that they had some sort of vehicle to become theatrical. Before that, there was really no way that they could become theatrical. I think MTV had a lot to do with bringing out that theatricality on those bands. Normally, Bon Jovi wouldn't be, you know, I mean, here's a a video where for three minutes they can do anything they want. Well, it's very clever. You know, I mean, uh, now Alice was doing this all the time on stage. But they, they, every one of these guys that I talked to that, that were from that Sunset Strip thing were all Alice, you know, aficionados. They knew mm-hmm. everything that I ever did. So I was, kind of the, I was kind of the focal point on a lot of that stuff. And for me to say, okay, you know, it's nice to be the godfather of shock rock, but I'm still in the game and I'm still challenging you all, <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's sort of like I'm the, I'm the old gunfighter, and there's always some kid, punk kid thinks he's faster. <laughs> right. You know, and the thing, the thing, too, is when you look at Desmond Child's contribution to this record, it's there as a writer, as, along with other people, and, of course, yourself on many of these songs. But the difference between what Desmond did with Trash and the other bands that he had worked with prior which he had great success with as a writer, whether it be Bon Jovi, whether it be Kiss, whether it be Aerosmith, all of that stuff. But the difference is he didn't produce any of those records. For you and with Trash, he not only worked as a writer, but he actually was steering the ship. He produced the record. So talk a little bit about that experience, you know, working with a guy as a producer, you know, so many years with Bob Ezrin and all these other producers, that that had to be an adjustment for you as well. 
I was very surprised at how adept he was at producing. You know, I mean, like you said, he was a he was a writer, and he's done some stage work, you know, with Rouge, you know. But at the same time, when I said, "Why don't you produce it?" Uh, he was very good with the guitar work on it. He was very good about getting the drums and bass right, um, and. I think being one of the writers, in his head, he could hear what he wanted to hear. And I took him a little darker than he probably normally would go, you know, and maybe a little bit more aggressive. But I think he liked that. You know, he liked the idea that this wasn't going to just kind of sit there and sound pretty, but it's going to have some teeth to it. And um, I, I think that's the amazing thing. I, I'm surprised that he hasn't produced more records because he did an amazing job with that record. Uh, I'm surprised that he didn't produce a Bon Jovi record or he didn't produce a, you know, a Kiss or an Aerosmith record because he was a, that album sounds great. When you listen to it, it's got a great sound to it. Yeah, it really does. Where do you, Alice, where do you personally feel about the record? I mean, how do you, I mean, at the time it was viewed as a comeback record and it sold a couple million copies and you had your first big hit with Poison in a, in a while. But for you, with all the albums that you've made, how do you feel about it, especially looking back on it 30 years ago today? Where do you feel it slots in for you? Do you feel it's among your better records or do you feel it was just one that was sort of right place, right time and, and connected with the scene for what was happening then? Well, you know, that, that is one part of it, that it was the right place at the right time, and it did connect. And we didn't, ex we didn't know what the single was going to be, you know. I mean, John Bon Jovi and I sang on Trash. Steven Tyler and I sang on Only My Heart Talking. You know, uh, Samboro played guitar on it. Joe Perry played guitar on it. And, yeah, it was plugging into what was going on there. But I think I felt every right to do that, you know, um, because I wasn't going to give up on who Alice was in all this, you know, in all this stuff. I kind of gleefully went into it saying, let's see what comes out of this. Uh, I, I, I love a great pop record. You know, um, you give love a bad name. Uh, J you know, uh, Janie's got a gun. Uh, you know, uh, I hate myself for loving you. I listen to those records and I go, that is a great pop song. That's a great record. Well done. You know, uh, so I had no problem plugging into that. It, I, of course, it was still going to have the Alice Edge. And that was the one thing I wasn't going to disappoint my fans with. It was still going to have, uh, you know, I think the cleverness in the lyrics and, and a certain amount of threat to it. Yeah, speaking of uh, I Hate Myself for Loving You, there's a song on the record, House of Fire, which is a co-write with you, Joan Jett, and Desmond Child. And that song, to me, when I listen to this record, that song, to me, screams the most Desmond. That that chorus is is almost Bon Jovi-esque, and it's sort of like, you know, even it goes up an octave oh, yeah. at the end and all that. I was like, man, I could hear that being a Bon Jovi song or whatever. And I didn't realize until I looked at the credit that Joan Jett had a piece of that as well. Yeah, we uh, actually, that song was a song that Joan and Desmond had started and never finished. And I came into it, and he played it for me, and I went, yeah, let's, let's write that. And, and I, I rewrote some of the lyrics or something, and I re rearranged it a little bit and gave it a little bit of an edge to it. And when I listened back to it, I did kind of laugh. 
if anything, that was an homage to what was going on in the music business right then. Oh yeah. I didn't hear that as I didn't hear that as a single. Uh, you know, uh, Bed of Nails. Yeah, I thought Bed of Nails was a good single, and I thought that um, you know, Only My Heart Talking, I thought was going to be a single. You know, and it was. It just, you know, Poison was such a massive hit that it was hard to hard to find the second single on that album. But uh, in the House of Poison is exact. It's so Desmond Child that it was almost comical. <laughs> in the thirty years since Trash has been out, have you ever not played Poison live? Was it ever out of the set for a while? No, it is as important as School's Out. In fact, I think in some ways it was a bigger international hit than School's Out. Wow! Because uh, the Trash album, I think, was number one in Greece for twenty-six weeks. It was ridiculous. I mean, some of the European, uh, it was number, it was such a big hit all over the world that we do Schools Out and Trash are the two songs we can do where everybody reacts. It, you it mean was, Schools Out and, and Poison? We found out later, and we found out later on that it was, the, it was the number one stripper song in the world. <laughs> well, that doesn't suck either. Hey, I don't, I don't have uh, – I'm out of um, – my show's going to end in a few minutes. But before I let you go and I run out of time, I want to just hit you with a couple other quick things because you mentioned the Vampires record. I saw the uh, performance you guys did when you did um, – the Bowie tune, you did uh, Heroes with oh, yeah, Johnny with, out with, front uh, Kimmel. Yeah. on Kimmel. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm watching this and like, I'm watching Alice Cooper walking around strumming a guitar, not in front of the microphone. I said, look at this. I had no no clue you would be out there, you know, playing guitar next to Johnny like that. Well, it was uh, the thing I love about the vampires is that I'm I am not the only lead singer in the band. Uh, Johnny sings two songs. Joe sings a song. Tommy sings a song, and I love the fact that I can sit back and just play rhythm guitar on that. And people go, wait a minute, Alice is the lead singer. Oh, wait a minute, no, he isn't. Johnny is on this song. When we first decided to do that song, Johnny came to me and he goes, he said, let's do, uh, let's do Heroes. And I go, I don't know the song. And he goes, well, it's just, and I said, well, why don't you sing it? I said, it'd be great. Why, you know, you sing. And he goes, no, no, I don't sing. And I said, John, you did Sweeney Todd. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, I forgot. You know, I mean, that was an opera, and he did a good job on it. So I said, you sing it, and I think it will have even more conviction if you sing it, because obviously the song is something that means something to you. I said, I'll just sit back and play rhythm on it, because there's simple rhythm guitar on it. You know? And I said, it'll look really cool on TV, you being the lead singer and me being the guitar player with, with Joe. You know, and it did. It, it 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 opens up. The vampire show opens up in the fact that I'm not necessarily the only lead singer in that band. You know, yeah. I love that. I love the yeah. fact that I can stand that I can that I'm not the focal point at all times. Because in the Alice Cooper show, I am. So this to me is a bit of a relief, and it's really cool to be a bar band because that's what the vampires really are. We're the world's most expensive bar band. <laughs> Hey, one other last thing, and I know you're on tour with Hailstorm, and you got more dates coming up, and there's so much we can talk about, but I've got like two minutes left here. Speaking of the vampires, so you told me and you've told the world the backstory of the vampires, and it was the drinking club at the Rainbow in L.A. and all that. So i got to tell you, 
for the last almost year, I've been doing this show once a month from the patio at the Rainbow. We had Joe Perry on. We've had Slash on. We've had everybody. It's been a blast. I go out and do it once a month. One of these days, I've said, since I've been doing it for the year, I said, the guy we need to get out here to do this show with me from the Rainbow, my monthly special, one of these times, is you because you've got all the stories and the vampires were built off of the story of the Rainbow and being up there in that annex. I would be disappointed if you didn't ask me. Um, I would, because honestly, I was there every night with Harry Nielsen and and sometimes John Lennon and, you know, uh, yeah, Keith Moon and all the guys, uh, Bernie Toppin and Mickey Dolenz. It was a really mixed, crazy mix of people. Uh, Michael J. Pollard. <laughs> and there are so many stories and so many ghosts in that place that, yeah, you need to have me on there. Uh, well, we we've we haven't. It's not like we haven't asked. I know your schedule is busy and you got a lot going on. Uh, we were almost going to try to grab you after Corden next week because I'm actually doing it that night. But they, I know you have a flight out. But we're, scheduling wise, we have to make it happen because you're the ultimate guy to do that with me. And every time I sit out there and do it, I go, we got to do this with Alice one of these months. So we'll keep working at it and figuring out a time that it works for both of us because I'd love to have you for it. I guarantee you that we will do it. Okay, I, I promise you. It'll be a good time. We put a live audience out there. We take over the whole patio. We put a stage. It's a great one. And like I said, you kind of inspired it because you told me all those stories. And every time I go up in that annex and I give a little homage to all your stories and the carvings in the wall. So I'm always thinking of you when I'm there. It was the ultimate drinking club. And I mean, <laughs> it, 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 didn't, it, it wasn't designed to do that. It just ended up doing that. And it became its own natural force. Well, listen, I appreciate a few minutes. Safe travels. Uh, good luck with the vampires. The new album Rise is out there now. I know you're on tour with Hailstorm. Say hi to the band and, and Lizzie and her band, which they're wonderful as well. Always great to talk to Alice and get into a few things. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Talking trash, Hollywood vampires, and a whole lot more. Wish we had more time, but Alice is always welcome on the show and has been on many times, and I'm sure he will be back again soon. We'll come back from the break and segue over to talking to Ted Nugent on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Attention true crime lovers, the hit Reels Channel podcast Murder Made Me Famous is back with all new episodes on Podcast One. Join crime reporter Steve Helling and those involved in the cases as they examine the most infamous crimes imaginable to unravel the twisted personalities that were thrust into the spotlight, including the Green River Killer, Jeffrey Dahmer, and Jack the Ripper. Download new episodes of Murder Made Me Famous every week on Apple Podcast and Podcast One. The Hit Reels Channel podcast, Murder Made Me Famous, is back with all new episodes on Podcast One. Ridgeway did not seem to have the kind of family that would produce a man with so much anger. It just didn't seem to fit. Join crime reporter Steve Helling as he investigates the most infamous crimes imaginable. This murder illustrates just how brazen Jack the Ripper was. Download new episodes of Murder Made Me Famous every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Uh. 
I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Eddie Trunk back with you. And now, as mentioned, Ted Nugent. Ted gave a call a few weeks ago to my show to promote his upcoming tour. That tour is happening as we speak right now in the U.S. So with that, let's turn it over to the always entertaining Uncle Ted, Ted Nugent, on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Eddie, is this the Trunk Fest? Now it's Uncle Ted and Eddie Trunk Fest. God bless you, Eddie. Happy (laughs) Summertime 2019, and happy Independence Day every damn day. And thank you for celebrating real rock and roll. Have I told you how much I love you lately? Uh, You haven't, Ted, but it's great to hear that from you. Thank you very much. How you been, man? How's your summer going so far? I'm having such a good time. It's stupid. Um, I got the best band in the world. I got the best crew in the world. I got the best dogs in the world. I have the best swamp in the world. I'm a happy rock and roll American dreaming son of a bitch, and I am your barbecue daddy. You know, when you prioritize and you carve out positive energy and positive spirit and positive people, I'm telling you, this 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 American dream has a constant spiritual erection, and I happen to have the soundtrack for that. How about you? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. I'm busy as ever. I got the all the radio stuff going, as you mentioned, the TV show I've been doing on Access, and uh, it's been fun. You know, I'm I'm living the dream in my own way. You live it by performing it and doing all the great music you do with the tour coming up, and I live it by celebrating you guys and all the guys that have given us all these great decades of music, and that's what it's about yeah, for me. Yeah. And Eddie, you exude the uh, the piss and vinegar, then the defiance and the outrage and the intensity and the fun. You are my fun trunk fester. When you're at these gigs doing the trunk fest, I watch the TV. I don't watch much TV, but I try to tune in when you're on because you you really celebrate this stuff. We've talked about it so many times. But no matter how goofy and stupid and weird and bizarre the world can get, thank. God, there's always the music and the people that make the music and they put, you know, everybody you interview and every trunk fest you do, you you make sure you emphasize that everybody really, really puts their heart and soul into these performances and this creativity and this musical adventure. So it's 2019 and, you know, I've been surrounded by the greatest, most adventurous musical gods all my life. Every band I've ever had is just out of body intense and fun and outrageous but with greg smith and with jason heartless and this incredible crew playing these insane my songs my songs are so much fun to play it's like a horny teenager in the in the garage with his first amplifier every time we jam. so I'm, i celebrate that stuff just like you do man yeah you've been playing as a trio now for a while and the band is killer with greg smith on bass jason heartless on drums you've had obviously a lot of different people that you've played with over the decades ted but these guys really are a great unit for you and i'm assuming you like playing as a trio you know, I play this Gibson Birdland guitar. It's really a, a designed to be a jazz guitar, but I fixed that. In 1962, I saw Jimmy McCarty, who was the uh, lead guitar player. We've talked about this, but it's worth emphasizing and repeating. 
Jimmy McCarty was in a band that I opened up for with my band, The Lourdes, at Wald Lake Casino in 1960. And it was Billy Lee and the Rivieras, Martha and the Vandellas, and Gene Pitney. Of course, Montrose covered Town Without a Pity, the great hit song by Gene Pitney. Mm -hmm. But I was just a little kid. I wasn't even a teenager yet, I don't think. And Jimmy McCarty with Billy Lee and the Rivieras, who ended up a couple years later changing their name to Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. And Eddie, I'm having an I'm having a trunk fest tomorrow with Mitch Ryder. We're having dinner tomorrow with Mitch Ryder. Anyhow, oh, wow. I got all kinds of stuff going on. But Jimmy McCarty played a Birdland, and everybody was playing Fender Strats and Telecasters back then, you know, because that was the origins of electric guitar. And then you started seeing the occasional Gibson 335 and the Gibson Les Paul and all these wonderful classic vintage instruments. But Jimmy played this big hollow body guitar called a Gibson Birdland. That was has a, It's a jazz guitar that's a three-quarter scale neck, and it's got all kinds of unique uh, ergonomic designs to it uh, for a jazzy sound. But this guy was cranking through a Fender amplifier, and I'd never heard such a spread of tones and voices and noises. And so I dreamed of getting a Birdland one day, and because it is a hollow body, it tends to feed back like an angry beast, which I love angry beasts. In fact, I just ate two of them for lunch. <laughs> and and uh, they're really angry when I kill them and grill them. But anyhow, I digress. Actually, I progress. <laughs> but Jimmy played a Birdland, and it was such an outrageous noise if you listen to the Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels hit songs, Devil with the Blue Dress and Jenny Take a Ride and Sock It to Me, and just so many killer songs, I started playing the Birdland, and the louder you got, the more outrageous the tonality and the spread of frequencies would take place because it's spruce and it's arch. It's a hand-carved arch-top guitar. And at the volumes that I play with, it, it just has a life of its own. So as as Jason and Greg and I get in the studio and rehearse, it's, it's, it's literally an orgy. It's just an outrageous, like Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Little Richard, Lonnie Mack, Dwayne Eddy, and going right through Hendrix and Billy Gibbons and, and, Jim, and, and Eddie Van Halen, all the tones and sounds you could possibly want. My point being is that with a three-piece band, which I had with the Amboy Dukes for a while, the three-piece, it allows this Gibson Birdland to just speaketh, to speak in tongues, to just have such a dynamic tonality and, and voice that, you know, I love Derek St. Holmes, one of the greatest guitar players and vocalists that ever lived. I just saw him. I just saw him in oh, Vegas right. like a week you know, ago, yeah. He's the best. But I love that three-piece where Greg's bass, you know, it's like Cream and Hendrix and, and The Who. Uh, I just love that spread, especially with the Gibson Birdland. So here we go, 2019, the music made me do it again, just like you do every morning when you get up. Yeah, Ted Nugent going out on tour. It starts on July 19th at the Rose in Pasadena. All the dates you'll find at tednugent.com. And, you know, Ted, you talk about that guitar, and you're so synonymous with playing it in terms of, you know, applying playing it to heavy rock. Like you said, it was originally intended as a jazz guitar. Beyond the fact that the, the, the feedback, which I also think is awesome about it, are there any other challenges with playing it? it I've never held one. Is it physically heavy? Is it awkward in any way, the shape? I'll, I'll tell you, Eddie, it's so cute because I have a real signature sound the way I open up my songs. Every every one of my killer songs has this grinding, you know, sexual breeding soundtrack opening to it. I don't know if it's ever been described that way, but we just recorded that. Anyhow, 
it is loud, but you'll notice I move around on stage. Everybody always thought I was really a good dancer, but I'm not a good dancer. I'm just moving around the stage to find out where the key that I'm playing in will resonate and feedback accordingly. Because if you're standing in the wrong position in relationship to the speakers, and I have a whole bunch of them, and I use a lot of fenders and, and magnetones now and, and some old PVs and a custom. And so when you're in front of the speakers, the Gibson Birdland at any volume at all will absolutely eat your face. So whenever a guitar player, Eddie Van Halen, when they opened up for us in 78, he wanted to you know, try the Birdland because he played a custom guitar based on a, a Strat himself. And when he stood in front of my amps, all you heard was, <laughs> and he couldn't stop it from howling because it it, it takes a certain touch and a lot of experience and, and fretboard work to move around so that the, the feedback is, is desirable feedback, even though in my world I desire all feedback. <laughs> I'd love to, someday you are going to trunk fest Uncle Nuge and you're gonna, I'm gonna hand you that Birdland and let it and turn it on, and you will not be able to stop the feedback. You will be helpless to stop the feedback because it takes a real touch. And every guitar player that's ever grabbed it, they can't stop the noise. <laughs> <laughs> and it's For actually kind of cute because it scares them. <laughs> you know, I I didn't know that. You just mentioned Van Halen opened for you on I guess what was their first tour in '78. Uh, do you, Do you remember your impressions of a a young Eddie Van Halen playing before you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just think of just think of my American rhythm and blues rock and roll dreams, Eddie. Come on, think of the bands that opened up for me. The first eight, the first three ACDC tours they opened for me. The the first three Def Leppard, Golden Earring, Journey, Foreigner, uh, Heart, uh, Van Halen. Uh, we did uh, co-headline with ZZ Top and Kiss in the early early years. But I mean, and I played bass, Eddie, we, I played bass for Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley. And you wonder why I'm like this? <laughs> I've, I've been in the, the throbbing bosom of the musical beasts of all times. Well, yeah, when Van Halen opened up for us, I, everybody was fascinated by this unique finger-tapping, outrageous, uh, uh, unprecedented guitar style of Eddie. And plus, the band was so good. I mean, Alex and Michael, get out of here. And David Lee Roth was such a riot. Uh, I mean, who would not be fascinated by this band? They were so unleashed and so punk and so outrageous. And I went up on stage the first sound check, and that's where Eddie and I swapped guitars. But yeah, they were killer. All those bands I just mentioned, and I could I could mention another hundred. I mean, I've had I mean the Blackfoot Blackfoot opened up for many many years and it's great so bands, killer 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 bands. So I'm I'm a lucky son of a bitch. Were there any Ted? Because I mean, when especially I mean, obviously you've always been on top of your game. Everybody knows you never did drugs. You're never drunk. You were always on it. You always bring it when you play live. And in the '70s, though, when you were you know had all these guys opening up for you was there any ever any situation where you had a band play before you and you were like they they gave you a little bit of a run you were like wow they they really are you know they're really bringing it like that pushed you a little bit well they all did i mean they all pushed us because every band i just mentioned and every band that's your favorite band every band that's every music lover's favorite band and that's that's what i was talking about at the trunk fest and putting their heart and soul into it I'm not sure how many people realize the work ethic 
and the dedication to the craft that musicians put into this. But I'll never forget, and they, again, they all pushed me because they're all killers. I mean, when we played with ZZ, you want to be, you want to hump the groove. You want to, you learn from ZZ Top that tightness and groove is mandatory. It's, it's the epitome of your musical delivery. And of course, I learned that as a kid because James Brown was my hero and the Motown Orchestra were, were my heroes. So I was already into groove and tightness. But all these different bands played with such authority. They're so good. We did so many tours with Bad Company. And and they're they're so good. We'd watch them in Montrose and the first uh, the first Sammy Hagar stuff. Uh, we, you'd you'd get out there and watch these guys and go, well, we better be we better have our A game tonight because these guys are rocking their ass off. But I think to your specific question, I'll never forget when I brought the Amboy Dukes back from Chicago. I I born and raised in Detroit. And I had this killer band, the Lords, that was already just storming, man, just phenomenal. We were number one in Michigan, won the Battle of the Bands, opened up for the Supremes and the Bo Brummels at Cobo Hall in 1963. And I was shattered, heartbroken that I had to move to Chicago because my dad got transferred when I turned 16. So I had to leave the band, you know, a classic story. And I started the Amboy Dukes in 65 in, outside of Chicago. And in, when I graduated from high school in 67, we came back to Detroit. And we thought we were the cat's ass, because we were. We were the tightest band, the grindingest band, the highest energy band, because we practiced and practiced and practiced, focusing on the groove and musicality. Well, Eddie Trug, when I came back to Detroit, there was a new band that had formed since I left in 65 called the MC5. Mm. And when we played with the MC5 at the Grandy Ballroom, Boy, as loud as my guitar was, you could hear my jaw hit the floor because, my God, at their peak, I am helpless to describe the musical authority and energy and defiance and groove and, 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 and positive outrage. The way the MC5 played, it was like what the Who would become, the tightness of a James Brown and the, and the best rhythm and blues bands. And it, it, it made the whole, the, the Amboy Deuce, literally we looked at each other and went, holy, we're going to have to practice even more because these guys, you have, unless you saw them in 67, 68, maybe early 69, unless you saw the MC5 at their peak, you have no idea what high-energy, outrageous, tight, authoritative music is. These guys were not human. And so that was a wake-up for all bands. We watched the MC5 and we go, holy smokes, we better try harder. <laughs> yeah, I saw Wayne Kramer recently get up and, and jam with Stone Temple Pilots about a year or so ago, and he's still out there doing his thing, man, and uh, and still bringing sure, it. He's a good friend. He's, he's, he was born and bred by that same original Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Holland Wolf, the Motown, all those black heroes from Holland Wolf and Muddy Waters and Lightning Hopkins, right to B.B. King and Freddie King and Albert King. and I mean, uh, the MC5, everybody from that era was absolutely catapulted forward musically by Bo Diddley, Chuck Berry, and Little Richard. That's It really owned us. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hey, so Ted, we're going to, um, we have plans to have you come in studio and really spend some time in August, I know, which I'm really looking forward to. But I know you wanted to get on now to make sure people know about this tour because it's starting in a little over a week. So we, we got so much more we can cover when you come in. But July 19th, you kick off at the Rose in Pasadena. The tour runs right now through August 31st, wrapping up in Michigan. Uh, you just mentioned Detroit. So uh, it's a great run of dates. All of them are at Nugent.com. And I imagine, you know, the same deal. You're going to get all the classics. You put out a great record like a year ago, Shut Up and Jam. I guess we'll get a little sprinkling of that. I imagine doing a set list has got to be a real bitch now with all the records and songs you have, right? It, you know, it's almost impossible to choose a two-hour set list, but we've got a brand-new record called The Music Made Me Do It that is just wall-to-wall snorting rhythm and blues rock and roll songs. We love them all. So we're going to do a lot of the songs from The Music Made Me Do It. There's a song called Big Fun Dirty Groove Noise. There's a song called The Music Made Me Do It. And the the way Jason and Greg play these songs, whether it's Dog Eat Dog or Baby Please Don't Go, that we I started playing back in 1958, hell, we whip out Johnny B. Good once in a while. But I've, I have so many fun songs. I think every guitar player wants to play Stranglehold and Cat Scratch Fever and Wang Dang Sweet Poon Tang and Motor City Madhouse and all these songs. So we do them every night. We play free for all. We play as many as we can. This year, we're whipping out a thousand knives and uh, Street Rats and Death by Misadventure and maybe some stuff off of Intensities and Ten Cities. But you're right. There's so many damn songs that have to be on stage for about a week. (laughs) <laughs> it is real live breathing rock and roll one of the biggest peeves i have in the world in rock music right now is i see way too many artists using this fake supplementation and tracks and playing to computers and putting vocals on tracks none of that bullshit with you man it is loud real breathing rock and i love how you bring it and love how you still celebrate it the way it should be played thank you so do we man so does everybody out there and i thank everybody for supporting this this wonderful, outrageous career of mine. But when you got guys like Greg Smith and Jason Heartless, I'm telling you, I had a song called Working Hard, Playing Hard that that had lyrics that says, now it's my turn to show my stuff. It's sometimes fun. It's sometimes rough. I'm working hard to earn my way, but lucky me, my work is play. So we get up there every night like a bunch of idiots and just go nuts so this i get eddie trunk i guarantee and this is outrageous i'm an outrageous guy <laughs> this is an outrageous <laughs> claim and it's guaranteed virtually guaranteed that we will eat barbecue within the next 24 hours this will be the greatest tour of my life based on what greg and jason and i do with these songs it's it's out of body i that i'm having this much fun as I'm approaching my 71st rock and roll birthday, is really a gift from God. And boy, do I put it to work every damn day. And you look great, man, and, and you bring it, and you still sing so well and play so well. It's it's really incredible, man. God bless you, because you at seven, I, you, I, I can only hope I can be half as uh, lively and energetic as you are when I hit that age, which for me isn't that far away, Ted. I'm not that far behind you. So. Just be sure to eat a lot of venison. That's the trick. Got to kill your own dinner. Eat that venison. It's organic, baby, from field to table. I started that way before it became cool. I'll see what I can dig up in my in my uh, backyard here in Jersey. I don't know what's walking around out there, but I'll see what I can find, and I'll let you know. You can consult me on how to prepare it. 
All right. Well, Eddie, thank you. And again, thank you for celebrating this great music. You know, there's still a lot of us out here. You would think by the lack of real industry, even though you got some killer, killer bands. I talked to the Greta Van Fleet guys here recently. They're carrying on the tradition. And there's still a lot of killer, killer, dedicated rock and roll music lovers out there. So oh, yeah. God bless them all and thank them all. Yeah, everybody go to tednugent.com, find all the tour dates. The music made me do it again. There's also the Danger Zone VIP package, which sounds a little bit scary, but that's just a, a cool meet and greet, a chance for you to meet the fans, right? Yeah, and they can fondle my Gibson Birdland. They will have the great spirit in their belly. Do they get a chance to figure out how to stop it from feeding back, though? That'd be fun. We got a video of that because I could give. I'd usually hand it to him with just a little tuning amp in the dressing room, but I maybe I'll bring in a big stack just to scare the living shit out of him. <laughs> well, listen, man, I'm definitely going to try to catch a show or two, and I'm really looking forward to. I hope it works out. We have a tentative date for August for you to actually come in, sit in the studio, do a whole show with me. We'll take calls from the audience. We'll really get into it. And we'll really have some fun, and that'll be uh, that'll be something I really look forward to. And maybe even we'll. We'll have a little jerky or something in the studio that you can bring. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm really looking forward to that because, like you, I still like talking about the music. I still yeah. like celebrating and digging deep and talking about it. Nothing is sacred, and if it is, you and I can fix it. <laughs> Ted, have a great tour, man. Stay in touch. I'll see you soon, okay? okay. All right, Eddie. The music made me do it again. July 19th. Go to tednugent.com for all the dates. I'll see you soon. See you soon. Godspeed. Fun talking to Ted. It's always fun talking to Ted and hope you get a chance to go check him out live. Like I said, I think Ted, with all the other stuff he's known for these days, often forgotten what a great artist he was and still is. Tremendous guitar player and uh, made some great classic records, certainly in the 70s, and still very, very powerful live. So check him out if you get the opportunity. Well, thanks to Ted. Thanks to Alice Cooper. Hope you guys enjoyed the interviews this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Again, follow me on Twitter, at Eddie Trunk, for up-to-the-second news info and updates, a new adventure seemingly daily these days. And also be sure to watch Trunk Fest on Access TV, new episodes every Sunday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Please watch. Please DVR. And be sure to listen to Trunk Nation on Sirius XM 106 volume each and every weekday, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, replaying 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, talking rock with you, and that's where these interviews originate from. And don't forget, I'll be broadcasting live once again from the Rainbow in Los Angeles this coming Monday. So if you're in Southern California, come down and watch the show. It's totally free. Everybody else can listen to it live as it happens on Volume Channel 106 on Sirius XM. Katie Irizarry is the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. I'll see you next Thursday for a new episode, free as always, Podcast One or, of course, Apple Podcasts. Have a good week.
The Hit Reels Channel podcast, Murder Made Me Famous, is back with all new episodes on Podcast One. Ridgeway did not seem to have the kind of family that would produce a man with so much anger. It just didn't seem to fit. Join crime reporter Steve Helling as he investigates the most infamous crimes imaginable. This murder illustrates just how brazen Jack the Ripper was. Download new episodes of Murder Made Me Famous every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Okay, parachutes ready. Boy, the things I go through to get auto loan rates as low as 1.04% APR for 36 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably shouldn't have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.